Um, and we met at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church, which was down the street at 4 p.m., uh, where we studied the book of 1 John, and we ate some amazing potluck meals together uh, over the summer. Um, and now here we are, back in this familiar space at a familiar time. Uh, we know that for many of us, this has been really stretching. The summer was really stretching, and some of us are actually thinking they're being very stretched here this morning. Uh, but again, I just wanted to thank you all for your flexibility in the ways that you entered into uh, an experiment this summer. And so as we are kind of gathered, every, every Sunday before we start gathering, we sort of meet, we have kind of a pre-gathering meeting. And I just asked the question, I said, how are we all feeling being back in this smelly gym? Uh, and somebody said, actually, I think it smells kind of good today, which was really bizarre to me because I'm like, it's a gym and it smells like sweat. Um, and I would imagine some of us are really excited. Some of us, there's a sense of dread. You know, those of us that are prone to cold weather, you, you have these memories of, you know, the winter of 2016 when the one Sunday we showed up was like 40 degrees in here because the heater broke. And some of you are already getting cold just thinking about that. Um, and some of you have been gone all summer and you're like, hey, something changed. Uh, so yes, it did. Uh, but welcome back. Um, but this morning, I wanted to take, uh, we're going to just spend a few brief minutes talking about the survey. We sent out a survey because we did this experiment over the summer. We wanted to hear what our community thought of the experiment, how we were kind of looking at things, uh, what stuff made sense. So uh, the survey says, um, the first chart I'm, I'm putting up, this was one of the questions. We said, uh, hey, what did you all think of our summer experiment? And one of the things that I, I really appreciated was 65% uh, of you said, great. And that was like range 7 to 10. It was like a 1 through 10 question. So from 7 to 10, 65% of you said, this is cool. Like, it was a good experiment. 30% uh, of you said, kind of neutral, like 4 to 6. Meh, like, you know, the meh. It's okay. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. And only 5% of you hated it. So thank you for being honest. Um, but, I, but again, it, this, this whole thing was we wanted to get feedback. What are we learning? What are we understanding? How are we really adapting to this thing? And so the next chart uh, is what did you all think of the time uh, meeting at 4 p.m.? And so 50% of you said, it's great. I love meeting at 4, uh, 4 p.m. 5% uh, of you were like, meh. And 45% of you were like, no, no. No, this is this is the only place I saw a like a ton of number ones. Like from the one to ten scale, we were like, no, 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 no. So with that, we decided, hey, uh, it's probably wise for us as a community to meet at a time where a lot of our folks. And he, here's the reality of Renew: we're a church of very, we're a church of young families, and we recognize that meeting in the evening during school year might be really difficult for our families. And so we figured it makes a little bit of sense, uh, want to be wise to how that works and how that affects people. So it makes sense to be back at 10 a.m. And unfortunately, although most of us, almost everyone loved this space of Holy Trinity. They thought it was great. They loved the food, the potlucks, the whole nine yards. But what they realize is that we can't have that church at 10 a.m. because right now they're meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so the, the, the only other option other than meeting outside and then, you know, dealing with rain, we think it's cold now, uh, was coming back into this space and having opportunity to worship here. A uh, couple things that we noticed uh, when we talked about what things were really positive, overwhelmingly, all of you, except for one person, loved the food. Like the meal was just a really important time. Uh, we, we really enjoyed uh, the way that that shaped our community. We just noticed was really, really cool. 
Uh, it was really spectacular to see people um, having opportunity to sit down after gathering to spend time together. Uh, m most of you overwhelmingly enjoyed being in a different space, inhabiting something that was a little different, and noticing even some of the challenges, but just saying it was good to be. Uh, one thing, this was really surprising, but a lot of you mentioned it was really good not to have to set up um, church every Sunday, which I, I didn't understand because I thought people loved that. Um, and there were quite a few people that mentioned they enjoyed sleeping in. Um, do with that what you will. Uh, some of the things that we were concerned about and this was across the board, uh, many of you mentioned we're already at maximum capacity within a building. And so it doesn't, at Holy Trinity, so it doesn't really make sense to continue to inhabit a space that we've already outgrown. Um, that was, was, was very, yeah, there was a lot of congruence in that place. Uh, a lot of people mentioned the time was not ideal. Uh, some people mentioned Eagles football. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about idolatry after uh, our gathering, so just come and see me. Um, and uh, this was actually really interesting. This, this is something that I, I actually would love to, for those of you that mentioned this, I'd love to have deeper conversations. Some, someone said, a uh, couple people said, uh, we kind of lose some of our renewness and some of our identity as, as a people in, inside of a church building. And I just thought that was a very interesting comment. I'd love to hear more. We don't have time this morning. But uh, if that was you, can you just shoot me an email? Because I'd love to hear even more and just to hear some, you know, a little more explanation on what y'all meant by that. Um, one of the things that was fascinating to me was we had a question towards the end of the survey um, where we asked how likely folks were to invite people. Um, and it was like split down the middle. Some people were like, absolutely, and some people were like, no way. Never invite someone to Holy Trinity. Some people were like, no way. Or yes, always invite people to Holy Trinity. Um, and as a pastor, that, that, that was probably the one that, that uh, became the greatest point of prayer for me. And so much of what I sense this, this sermon and this teaching is really going to challenge. Because here's the deal. Like, Jesus changed my life 20 years ago. And what he did to me was so spectacularly amazing. Like, I don't care if I meet in a wooden box. I, I, I sense Jesus is so important, so good, that it doesn't matter where we meet. We should just long to see people come into the presence of God to watch their lives fully and radically changed by the love and grace of Jesus and to see them wrapped up in this community called the church, this messy, wacky community called the church, but to find freedom and healing and love from a God, from a Father God who just longs to be with his kids. A God that before, you know, I love the story of Ephesians, right? Um, you can sum up the Ephesians like this. Uh, we were all enemies of God. What does God do to his enemies? He adopts them as kids. Adopts them as kids. Friends, that's, that's part of who we are as, as Christians. That's part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Like We are called to see the miraculous in the places where we don't think miracles can happen. And so, anyways, this is, this is I'm preaching to me this morning as well because I, I have places that I sense God is challenging me to grow. And one of those places is in the way that I continue to interact with the neighbors and the people around me. So with that in mind, uh, I want us, uh, this morning, I'm going to preach about the church. And I want to frame God's story of dwelling with his people as the church. So the church for me is this. 
we've kind of seen the, the vision of the church all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. It's sort of there's this movement and there's this stuff. So this may feel a little bit Old Testament, a little bit New Testament as we move through the way that God is among his people or the word with. And so when we think of with, I'm with Steve right now. We're hanging out in the same space. Um, and so the first thing is first, no matter where we go, what we understand as we read scriptures that God is present. God is not confined to one space over another. From the very beginning, we understand that God is a missionary God uh, who is on mission to rescue and redeem all his creation, which has been devastated by hurricane sin, which has wrecked relationships uh, the, the way that we understand ourselves and our relation with God, the way we understand ourselves, a relationship with ourselves, with others, and even with creation. We are broken, and God is on mission to redeem all of these things, to redeem his creation, to rescue them. And so the whole narrative of Scripture is not a story of an absent God, but one who continues to pursue and come closer in order to live with, to live with, to live with, and redeem his creation. It's a story of God's constant movement closer and closer and closer to his creation. And so this morning, I want us to begin, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 12, uh, uh, verse 1. So this is right after 1 through 11 of Genesis is the amazing story of God's creating power, uh, speaking order to the chaos in, in the very beginning of Genesis, and it kind of follows the story of sin, and it, sin sort of wraps up in this really crazy story of the Tower of Babel, where people decide they're going to be stronger than God and figure out and be equals with God, and God disperses everybody, and it sort of feels like you could just end it there, and it'd be a really hopeless zombie flick, and that would be it. Um, but Genesis 12, what we see is this, and this is what it says, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Check this out. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And so right off the bat, what we see is we see a God who's invested in his creation, not just a God who's kind of tamingly hanging out, but he's actually there. And he's not just there. He actually speaks a word to, his, to, to this guy, Abram, and his family. He says, go. So he's a God who, who actually wants some kind of a response, some kind of a following, some kind of a way of moving in the direction that God asks and he doesn't just say go somewhere. He says go so that I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. I will give you, and think about this, and we have to understand this. For those of you that never heard the story, Abraham is in his, he's an old man, and his wife is old, and they have no children at all. And uh, this is kind of, this is irony in, in many, many ways. He says, I'm going to give you a huge family and land. They're nomadic people, and they can't have kids. And God makes this outrageous statement to them. And again, the whole, just even think about what this tells us about God is that God calls his people to be pipes, not buckets. We talk about that all the time in Renew. I'm blessing you, not so that you can fill up all the way and just sit there, but so that you can then pass the blessing on. We understand this idea that God is on a mission to see the world blessed, 
And not just in this ambiguous way, but through relationship. That God is present with people in relationships. And this calling to trust God and obey is a relational calling. And so we see the story of Abraham, and and we're just amazed because here out of nowhere, out of when things seem to get really bad in Genesis chapter 11, God God comes in 12 and he calls a specific person in the family to follow him. And so as the story goes, if you've read through Genesis or you've heard, uh, Abraham's family becomes a really big family, and it's known as the nation of Israel. And many generations later, after Abraham's been dead for years, the nation, Israel, is is a slave nation under Egypt. And so we pick that up in the story of Exodus, and God rescues this entire nation. He leads them into the wilderness, and we come to this really peculiar story. So Exodus 13, 20 through 22, if you want to follow along, check that out. So what it says, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so what we see in this new, in sort of this next picture, we see that God is present with his people, and he leads them in a visible way, fire and smoke, scary yet comforting. If I was walking, seeing fire ahead of me, I would be a little freaked out. Just, that might just be me. But it's this story of God continuing to move closer to his creation. And so what happens is when, when the fire and smoke move, Israel hops up, they pack up their tents, and they continue to follow God. And we think about the implications that this has on the church. Our longing and our goal as a community is to follow God wherever he wants us to be. And this is what Israel is doing during this time in the wilderness. They're following God. They're following God. You know, the smoke goes, they go. The fire goes, they go. And then we come to this amazing story at the end of Exodus, uh, sort of the last part of Exodus, Exodus 25 and on, and God does something even more spectacular. Not only is he out in front as a guide, but now God says, hey, uh, he's talking to Moses, he says, I want you to build a tabernacle for me. Uh, I'll show you what my house is going to look like in heaven, build it so I can dwell with you, and this will be called the tabernacle. That word comes from the Hebrew word tabnit, which means pattern. And so the idea of a tabernacle is it is a scale to God's house in the heavenly realm. So it's almost like it feels like God was hanging out with Moses uh, up on this mountain and said, hey, this is, what my, this is what my dwelling looks like. Can you build that? So even in that moment, God is inviting his creation into building a dwelling for him to come and be with his folks, to be with his creation, to be with his people. And so what we understand is God asked Israel to build him a mobile home. And he hangs out there to be among his people. And they move and they have to tear it down and they have to set it back up and they tear it down and set it back up and they tear it down and set it back up. And this is a shameless plug. We need folks to help out with setup and tear down. <laughs> but my friends, this is life for 40 years in the wilderness. And some of you are thinking, dear God, please don't let this be life for 40 years at Renew. Um, but this is what life is like. It said they go wherever God goes. And one thing that we do learn, this is why, and I don't understand this either, um, the setup team is always the same group of folks. It's always the Levites. They're always setting up and tearing down. 
But what we, we see that God has this amazing heart to be with his people, that he wants to be in close proximity of his creation, to have his own tent, to rescue and stay with. Again, God keeps moving closer and closer to his creation. And so the tabernacle is this sacred space, this thin space where heaven and earth come near, where God is with his people. So are there thin spaces in your life where you find, where you find God? For me, it's Cannon Beach. I love that place. Out in Oregon, I can sit there all day and God is present. But as I was thinking about that, it's also here in this space, in this smelly gym, in front of this table, in that back corner over there towards the middle of where we sit uh, over here when we're stacking up stuff. This has become a thin space for my soul. And you know when you know you're in a thin space when when you can think back to times where you've shed tears in a space. That's a thin space. That's a heaven coming to earth space where confession and forgiveness of sin, where victory uh, and vision and deliverance happens, that's a thin space. And to understand the relational weight of a thin space, that God continues to move closer and closer and closer to his creation, from telling Abraham to go, to fire and smoke, to a mobile home. And then when we think it can't get any better, we come further down the line to the story of Israel, and after many, many years of setup and teardown, they come into the land, the nation is big, that God promised Abraham long ago, and King Solomon builds a permanent structure called the temple for God. And so the temple is beautiful, it's splendid, you walk into it probably like some of us experienced when we walked into Holy Trinity, and there's just this sense of awe. You see the stained glass windows, you see the altar, you see these things, and you're just like, man, there's something otherworldly about this. If you've ever been into an Orthodox church, they're hardly ever square. They're normally rounded. The walls are rounded because it wants to feel like it's this all-encompassing space, that God is not boxed in, but that it's, it's, it's this big space, but this temple had this amazing sense of beauty. It had this sense of worship. People came every year, for multiple times a year for all the festivals. It became the centralized place of worship. It was one location all the time. God lived there. That was God's mailing address with a zip code. It was magnificent. It was impressive. It was also a symbol of national pride. And God was there 24-7, 365 days out of the year. But he was only accessed by a certain few in that. But the permanent brick and mortar was a constant reminder to a wayward, stiff-necked people of God's constant faithfulness and presence among them. And again, the temple is another part of God continuing to move closer to his creation. And so the design and purpose of all of the, of the tabernacle, of the temple, of the pillar, of the, of the fire and smoke was that this idea of being blessed, blessing a nation so that they could be a blessing. The temple was not just for Israel. Yes, it was where they worshiped, but it was to be a sign of a God that dwelled with his people, a merciful and just and loving God with his folks. 
And so when we think the temple is at its best, what we do find out is we also find that one of the difficulties is what do you do as a nation when your place of worship is destroyed? And so Israel, if, if, you, if, you're, if you've heard the story of Israel, they, they lose their temple. Uh, they are so wayward in sin that God allows people to come and take them, and the temple's destroyed. And then it was rebuilt again, but it was destroyed in 70 AD. And uh, I don't know, is there a picture of the wall? So this is all that's left of the temple, this wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. Uh, this is in Jerusalem. And uh, people come and they pray. And how, you know, this is almost 2,000 years later. There's still a mourning of the loss of a worship space. So clearly, this was not just a cool building that they inhabited, but there was this belief that God's presence is here with us when this is built, when this is standing. But then we come to this obscure poem that opens the Gospel of John as we're thinking about God becoming closer and closer. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are made, without him nothing was made, has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light to all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. We jump down to verse 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. My friends, that word dwelling is the word tabernacle. He came to be with us, that God did not just stand outside, but that Jesus is the tabernacling God. And so we thought the, the fire and smoke was close. We thought that the, the, the tabernacle was close and the temple was the closest we could ever get to God. But then God puts on flesh and bones and he moves into the neighborhood and he lives among his people literally sitting next to you on Sunday morning or Saturday, Friday service at the synagogue, God fully indwelled with us, a tabernacling God. And so what happens in that moment is we understand this, that, that our God, the one who created all the things that we see, is not an absent God, but he's one who's present. He's not a God who stands far away and just does things out here, but he's one who comes and puts on flesh and bones to be with us, to be next to us. And so that's the beauty, that, that is, the good news is this, that our God didn't stay in the heavens and just let everything go to heck. But he entered into our stuff to redeem us, to rescue us. This idea that God spoke to Abraham all these years ago, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. Guess what, that was Jesus. Jesus is the blessing to all the nations. And so Jesus comes and he lives this beautiful life and he heals people. He hangs out with the wrong folks. He eats with people that he shouldn't be eating with and he proclaims freedom from the captives, forgiveness of sins, and he just begins to radically revolutionize everything that we see. And so what does humanity do to this God who comes and puts on flesh? We crucify him. But it's in that death that something is actually able to die in us, and that's the sting and the weight of sin. And it's in that death that we see life actually spring forth from. And what happens in that moment as Jesus raises from the grave, as he comes back alive, 
what we understand is that God even moves past death to be close to us. I don't know what death you're dealing with in this season, but God is going to move past it to be close to you because he's a God who pursues you. He pursues us both individually and corporately as a people. He continues to chase after us. And just when we think that's just mind-blowingly amazing enough that, that God put on flesh to dwell with us, he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And so it goes from being with us to being inside of us and that we are carriers of the, God lives inside of us. I don't know how that works. I don't understand it, but I know it to be true because the scripture tells me that. And so what I learn about the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit is that the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and this is what happens when the Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit then sends us, the church. And it's amazing because when we look at the first few, the first, we look at the book of Acts and what we see is we see a church that starts in Jerusalem, probably in the temple, doing all kinds of temple things. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. Jerusalem's destroyed and the church is just spread like wildfire because they actually believe that wherever I go, God is with me. Wherever we gather, where two or three of us are together praying in the name of Jesus, he's there. We're the temple. We're the tabernacle. God's with us. He's among us. The healing stuff that he did in the temple and the tabernacle is now present to me fully here in this place. It's amazing to think that within 30 years of, of, of Jesus ascending into heaven, the church has spread to Rome and as far east as, as India. It's amazing. And so the early church went away from the temple and became tabernacling communities all over the known world. And my friends, the church did not meet in buildings. They didn't meet in temples. They met in homes. Because what happens is where we go, they believe this. Where we go, God goes with us. From the beginning, this was the call of God that God laid on the heart of renew. That we would be a sent people, sent into normal everyday life. A sent people that followed the smoke and the fire and embodied the good news that God loves us and is closer than you think. Renew, we're called to be a tabernacling church. Even if we owned a building, we still need to see our lives as a tabernacling people, people that are following God, that our God's home is mobile because he keeps moving and he keeps doing stuff and he creates all this trouble for us and we get into it and we just see God doing amazing things all around us. And so my friends, here's the implication for us. Renew is a church of local missionaries. We are a church of local missionaries. Our highest call is to see Jesus' name proclaimed and lived out in our neighborhoods, in Montgomery County, in the greater Philadelphia area, in the United States of America, in the Northern Hemisphere, and in the world. And you're like, little old me? Yes, little old you. We are local missionaries with global mindsets. It's a good reminder for us, this is the implication, church isn't about you. Church is not about us. The church, the church exists for the sake of the world because if we look back at this promise to Abraham, I will bless you, Steve, so that you can be a blessing at Quakertown Christian, so you can be a blessing on the street that you live in. I've called you so that you could be a blessing in the places where you go, in the places where you run, in the places where, where you work, because our God is not a God that pours into buckets. He pours into pipes. Church isn't about us, my friends. I, I, if you ever spend any time with the Phelps, 
they get this. Amber, for the last few weeks, has been just ministering to her Buddhist friend uh, whose, whose husband is dying. And she's just present in the mess of that and the weight. She's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't, know what, I don't really know how to talk, you know, talk about all this stuff. She's just present in there and trusting that God is at work in the midst of her presence being there. Uh, uh, I, this is going to sound really weird, and I, I feel like I'm cheating on you all, but I, ha- I, have, to, I have to be honest. Um, I, I am, I'm a pastor to the Sasquatch hockey team. That's my calling. The altar is the bar at the perky. And I sit there and I see Jesus show up in the midst of that all the time. And it just changes the whole atmosphere of this place. And you see God come in these ways that you never imagined possible. Because where I go, God is with me. Where I go, he's with me. All right. Second implication is this. At this time, we're called to be good and faithful stewards, not owners. For the last six years, Renew has partnered with significant moments in ministry in the life of this smelly old gym. Uh, We have seen God show up in amazing ways. Many of you have blessed the families of this entire region just by every Christmas, by bringing food, by filling these boxes of love so that Bob and his wife can take all these boxes to the families in our area that can't actually afford Christmas dinner. And they just bless them. Last year, uh, in January, JR and I had the amazing opportunity to perform a funeral in this space right after a gathering on a Sunday to be pastors to this place, not to renew. For a moment, we stepped outside of that, and we had a chance to pastor the Boys and Girls Club, to pastor Bob and Kathy, to pastor all these kids that now were adults, and to talk about Jesus in the presence of this, in, in the midst of incredible craziness, we had a chance to be present and to be ministering to our community. It it makes us ask the question when we meet in this space, who can we help and how can we help? Because it's not ours. And so many of you have also helped put floors in the bathroom and, you know, clean up every Sunday after church and you take extra time to pick the crumbs up off the floor. Do you realize that you are being a good steward of a place? You are actually caring for creation the way that God called his creation to care for the things that we are in contact with. So as people who use this building, we share Jesus by the way we clean up for this place. That's really practical. This is a big one. We must not grow comfortable and complacent. As I said earlier, we are so encouraged by the adventurous spirit that we see that Renew continues to show. And our longing is that Renew will continue to embrace our calling as missionaries cleverly disguised as teachers, students, stay-at-home parents, healthcare professionals, construction workers, graphic designers, prison guards, etc., etc., etc. Renew is a very unique church, and I think that's what I want to make sure that we continue to recognize. There are a lot of churches that are unique, but our unique contribution is that we're, a, we're an MRI church. We're missional. It means that we believe God's a missionary God who sends us, so we're missionaries. We're relational. We believe that actually the best way to see God reach someone is to have relationship or friendship with them. And we're incarnational because we really believe that God put on flesh and bone. And so when we walk out every morning, we become Jesus to the people that we come in contact with. We're MRI, missional, relational, incarnational. And again, the church exists for the world, not for itself. But it will be stretching and uncomfortable. We have to remember that. This ain't easy. It allows us to see those who never step inside of a church building. Friends, there were people that actually did not come to renew this summer because we met in a church building. 
that was the weirdest mind shift for me that I've ever experienced. Like, whoa, that's actually a barrier for some folks. Our last implication is our gatherings and house churches are spaces for us to participate. Otherwise known as this is one of my favorite sayings, Renew, we see church as potluck. And very practically, this is what that means. That we have changed our Saturday morning or our our Saturday afternoon setup times to Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. so that we can actually spend time being good neighbors on Saturday evening when a lot of folks are hanging out, when there's, there's neighborhood activities. We're trying to finish up and do some things a little bit differently so that we can be present in the mission of God in the places where we are. A couple real simple things, and this, this is so important for us to understand. If you call Renew Home, we need you to participate. We need you to help with setup and tear down. We need you to, to if, if you have a calling to disciple our kids, we need you to disciple our kids. That's part of it. Part of being a a community that loves God is by taking care of the little ones. There's this great uh, statement. I think it's Shane Claiborne. It says, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. My, My prayer is that Renew is the church where everybody wants to do the dishes because we see it as a world changing opportunity. And so church, like we need you to be invested and involved. All right. So how, how do we end? I want us to imagine for a moment what it would look like if our ministry was more concerned with people outside the walls than inside the walls of the spaces that we inhabit. I want us to imagine what it would look like to see healing and blessing come in the same way that God promised Abraham to our neighbor's to our coworkers, and to our enemies. So Renew, will you join us in seeing all of your life as a place where the church, where the Spirit of God is on the move? Will you join us in, in praying for and seeing your next-door neighbor captive set free? Will you join us in not growing complacent, but continuing to move forward in boldness as we live out the gospel to a world that desperately needs good news? I'm going to ask us practically to do something. Many of us have have these cards with our kids' names on them. Uh, In fact, one one of the first things, and a lot of you never actually see this, but uh, one of the first things we did when we moved into this space and had our own communion table is we, we bought this, these really cool stickers. You probably can't see them, but it says, I'm praying for, and there's all these names that we filled along this table. Um, Mommy, Bill M., Bruce, Ginny, Scott G., Mary, Uncle so-and-so. My brother, CJ, Lisa, Minnie, Doug, Mom, Richard, Rich. So there's all these names underneath this place where we come every week and we receive grace and mercy from Jesus and we're reshaped by this table. Underneath of that table, there are prayers of people with names and faces and addresses that we long to see the kingdom of God break into their life in powerful ways. 
So I want to ask that you just take a moment. If you have a piece of paper, I want you to flip it over. I want you to write a name of someone. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. I'm not sure who it is. But I want you to go ahead and write the name of that person on the back of the card. The name. And I want to ask that you would join with me this year in making it a point to be lifting up and praying for the person in which God has laid on your heart. Not just the kid, but every time we, we pick, every time we look at that, uh, and I'll tell you, every time I go into a renew house, I always see this hanging off the refrigerator. And what I want us to do is get into the habit when we pray for a kid, we pray for someone in our community who's far from Jesus or who's close to Jesus and just doesn't even know it yet. I just take a minute to do that. John's going to come up and he's going to start leading us in worship. We're doing something a little different. Our kids, as you can see, they're very quietly sitting in the, standing in the back. They're going to come, they're going to, come to you as we enter into a time of worship uh, because we wanted to create some sacred space for us to be praying and to be listening to God. So let, let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for being a God who is continually coming closer and closer and closer to his creation so close that you're actually in us. Father, I pray that the names that you are putting on our hearts, that they would not just be a one-time name that we write on the back of a piece of paper, that you would give us faith to believe that the kingdom of heaven, that the risen Messiah will show up in their life and that we would see amazing fruit and amazing things happen, that dead hearts would be raised to life. Father, thank you for being a God who's journeyed with us and been faithful to renew as we've moved uh, nine different locations as we gather in, in this space, as we gather in homes. May we become lighthouses for our communities. In your name we pray. Amen.